Hey, what's going on, you filthy animals? Welcome back to another episode of the Wall Street Junkie Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Luke-Muller. In this week's episode, I had on Adam Kimball. He's a professional ultra-marathon runner. He's a speaker. He's a coach. He's an extraordinaire. He has been my neighbor for the last few years in Tahoe City. I've known him for quite some time. And a couple of weeks ago, I was up there, and I, I asked him if he would come on the podcast. And he blessed me with the opportunity of coming on. He is absolutely the wildest guest I've ever had on this podcast. So much to learn from this podcast. This is my favorite guest, without a doubt. Even though he is not an investing professional like most guys are on this podcast, uh, he has probably the most that you can apply to investing, in my opinion. I mean, he's so much about the mind, so much about just your body and what you can learn. And there's so much you can take from this conversation and apply to your life, investing in your life in general, that just blessed. He drops some major gems. I mean, he has some impressive accolades running across the U.S. in 60 days, running across parts of Asia. I mean, you name it. He has literally been on almost every continent, if I'm not mistaken. Um, almost everyone. I'm not sure if he made it on Antarctica. I'm not sure yet. I'll uh, have him fact check me on that one. But guys, this is a fantastic episode. I hope you guys enjoy this one. And without further ado, let's cue the episode. Hey, uh, so our uh, last couple of days, the this internet has been is like being recorded. cutting out for some reason. No but, worries. Uh, we have this thing called a this thing called a Skyroam that's like a, uh, allows you to connect to a different thing so i'm on that now hopefully that hopefully well that are we still good to go for a little bit if you don't mind yeah, yeah of course okay of course. good well you know we'll just kind of kick things off so for you guys listening i have adam kimball on he i've known him for many years uh in tahoe he's a neighbor of mine i've known him what five six years now yep and he's regarded as many as like this handsome devil he's a tall beautiful man he's an ultra runner he's just an extraordinaire and uh we'll get into your background but again thank you for coming on the podcast adam i i know we've known each other we've talked about this for some time and i'm i'm glad you're here so thank you again dude it's it's yeah thank you josh it's great to be here man and i i know i'm not your typical guest so i i tend to have a lot of fun you know i, I go on quite a few running podcasts but i tend to have a lot of fun on the on the show's good one right yeah you know for me i think you know you don't have that traditional finance investing background but your story is so interesting i really think so many people could take so much from you because i think a lot of your story you can apply directly to investing i really think so especially you know your discipline the level of discipline you have blows my mind <laughs> thanks bro i appreciate that yeah you know it is it, it's We'll get into it, but there, you know, a lot of the experiences that I've been through have taught me more about life than uh, than I could possibly imagine. And I think it doesn't always. You can sometimes have an experience that is so. For example, a, a running experience right. that doesn't necessarily even teach you something about running. It teaches you something about life and how you can apply that lesson to life moving forward. And I think that's the the beautiful thing, man, is when you take this thing that you've learned and applied in a different way, because it, some people have the tendency to think, Oh, I, I can't relate to that. Cause I, I'm not a runner. I don't right. do this, but just like what you said, it's, it's all about how you apply it to what's going on in your life. 
Yeah, that's why I had to have you on the podcast. Just to kind of, I guess, get into the meat and potatoes. Give us a little bit of how you got to where you are now. Because I know you uh, I know you didn't start out as a runner in college. So you kind of want to talk about that house it segued into what you're doing now? Yeah, man. I played college baseball. I was a three-sport athlete in high school. So always, always around uh, different types of sports. But I played baseball, basketball, and football. Went on to play baseball in college hated running at the the time that I was playing baseball. It was a punishment more than anything, but you know, I, uh, I did what I had to do. Although I guess, you know, I actually, I realized this recently, I was talking to somebody and I told him that when we used to have our conditioning drills during baseball season, I always had this thing where I, I, I just wanted to beat everybody and be the fastest one done with the conditioning stuff. And kind of like looking back on that, reflecting on that, it makes a lot of sense now that I went into something that uh, can be so, uh, so difficult or challenging in, in terms of ultra running, but, but yeah, you know, I, so I played those sports in college, uh, graduated was kind of looking for just a new, like personal challenge outside of career related stuff at the time, which I was, I was working in events, putting on, uh, races and festivals and things like that. And I had a friend who, who asked me if I wanted to give, uh, endurance running a shot. So, um, did, uh, did some, some marathons, actually did one marathon, the Chicago marathon, thought I was going to be done forever. I, I right. finished the race and I said never again. And then a couple of weeks later, I thought, you know what, actually, I want to give that a shot again and see if I can do it better. And then uh, here we are a few years later, or I guess several years later, and I'm a professional ultra runner, which if you're not familiar with that term, is just somebody who runs distances longer than the marathon. So very long stuff now. What was your time on your first marathon? I'm just kind of curious where you started. Yeah, my my first marathon was three hours and 40 minutes. And uh, so that was in 2012. Yeah, it was was a pretty good first time. And, you know, since then, I've taken a full hour off of my marathon time. So it's, uh, it's crazy to think about think about it in that way. But but yeah, it was it started out as a, a personal endeavor, something I wanted to challenge myself with. And then once I get into longer stuff, I was succeeding and realizing that, wait a minute, maybe I could, is it possible I could do this for a career? And it took some time to get there. Um, we could talk more about that, but you know, at first it wasn't financially feasible to just be a professional ultra runner. Cause there's, you got to get creative with things, but um, thankfully I had the flexibility to do that. And now I've been able to build my life around it. So when you first did like your first ultra race, is that when you knew you wanted to do this for a living? and really start thinking about how to do it or where was that switch for you? No, it took a little bit of time. Yeah. When I ran that first 50 K, that was the first ultra race that I did. That's 31 miles. Yeah. I thought this is, this is really interesting. And it was a trail race. I'd been used to running road races like the Chicago marathon. So that was my first trail race. And is it I more thought, difficult? This is, is actually, it... it was kind of funny. My very, yeah, yeah. Like I, it was, I remember I was, I was a quarter mile into the race and it had, it had ra- it was in Indiana and it had rained a ton uh, in the days prior to the race. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm in like knee deep water, a quarter mile into a 31 mile race. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, this is brand, this is a brand new place for me to be, man. I've never been here before. So it was a, a different type of challenge, but I, I really enjoyed the, the additional variables, you know, like road running. It's like, you're on a road, it could be raining, could be hot, whatever, but it's like pretty predictable. 
And uh, in trail running, it's like you could be going up a mountain through a forest in mud. It, you know, it, there's all kinds of different things. So that really appealed to me initially. And then once I ran my first hundred mile race, that's when I knew it was going to stick. And that's where I wanted to go is the really, really long races, because I did that. My very first hundred mile race was out in Yellowstone um, or, or close to Yellowstone National Park. And uh, I ran the race. I took third. And I just remember it was so, so hard, but I had this like in just incredible feeling of accomplishment at the end. And I remember thinking, it's funny, when I ran my first marathon, I said never again. When I ran my first 100 miler, I couldn't wait to sign up for the next one. And, you know, when, when, when it comes to preparing for something like this, how much would you say is you preparing your body, right? Conditioning. And then how much of it is conditioning your mind? And how, really, how do you condition your mind for 100 miles? I mean, my my big ass cannot run yet. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I think of, uh, I forget the the quote, but there's a funny quote from Yogi Berra, famous baseball player uh-huh. that he says something like, um, you know, baseball is like three quarters mental and the other half is physical or something yeah. like that. It's like, you know, whatever the quote is, it's, it's something to that effect. But I feel the same way about, about ultra running. There's obviously a physical component to it to get through a hundred miles. Yeah. But I, but to be totally honest, I, I place almost more value in the mental side of it. If you got somebody who's completely, undertrained and then somebody who's completely trained and then so the undertrained person if they're really really mentally strong and then the person that's been training really hard isn't mentally strong i would probably put my money on the person who didn't train but has the mental strength than the other person it's it, it's counterintuitive in a sense but yeah. it, it goes to show you when you're in a shorter distance race um you can you can get by on purely on physical tools sure. but in a race where you're out there for so long, you have to, you have to repair yourself mentally and, uh, and be able to overcome when, when everything is telling you to quit. How do you train your mind for that? Like I, you know, what does that look like? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, for me, a lot, honestly, a lot of it is trying to, there's two things, trying to simulate conditions. So if you're going to be in a, if you're going to run a race, it's really hot trying to get out in the middle of the day when it's at the absolute hottest um, you know, putting yourself in a position that's going to somewhat mimic what you're going to go into. And then kind of along the same lines is being in those situations. So I always say like, whenever I run a race, that's an opportunity for me to be stronger in the next race, because I've learned something from that and I can use that moving forward. And I really think experience is, is so important. You can, you can prepare, you can think you're prepared, but until you really get into it and put yourself, you know, in the fire, you're, you're not going to know totally how you're going to respond. So right. for me, a lot of it is just gaining additional experience and then using that moving forward. You know, I'm kind of curious, were there any races that I know people probably don't like to talk about there? Are, are there any races you didn't actually complete? And if so, what did you learn from those? Yeah. You know, there, so to this day, there's two races. Those are the official term for that in the running world. Josh is DNF did not finish. Yeah. And uh, so I've got two DNFs to my name and they both came in the same year. Actually, I was, I was kind of dealing with an injury in 2019 and, uh, and I just, I love racing so much that I put myself in a couple positions where I probably shouldn't have been racing, but I, I couldn't resist. I love it. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. But you know what, what I learned was uh, ultimately I've got to be smarter. You know, it was an opportunity for me to say, 
Yeah. Of, of course I want to be here, but sometimes you've got to realize, Hey, there's another opportunity around the corner. Mm. If you're not fully healthy, you've got to allow yourself to get there and then go see what you can really do. Cause it's kind of like you're shorting yourself if you're going in, not a hundred percent. Right. And, uh, and, and so for me, the, the real lesson that I learned from those two experiences was the body can only handle so much and you've got to be smart about how you manage that. Yeah, I like that because there is a level of like intelligence you need to have or else you go down just a destructive path where not only you're not going to finish likely, <laughs> you're really going to hurt yourself for future endeavors. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's actually like. So something that sort of changed for me, and this was an interesting uh, sort of reframe of how I saw this. Yeah. When I started out in the sport, I sort of told myself that I'm never going to DNF a race because if I, even if I like break a bone, I'm going to drag myself to the finish line. That yeah. was the mentality, right? Sure, sure. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the Goggins, the Goggins I, mentality, right? Shout out the Goggins. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, it, so I, I used to have the mentality and then I still do to some degree, but also now that this is my living, it's like, mm. I make money from winning races. And so if I go out there and I hurt myself and then I'm out for X amount of time, that's X amount of time that I can't win money uh, from running a race. Right. right. So, so now it's actually like the financial incentive in many mm. ways has, has created a smarter version of myself because I know that I've got to prioritize the things that I'm doing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good lesson that that my viewers need to learn too. Is, is when to say no. Let's uh, let's wait. Let's give it time. So I like that. You know, when we when you talked about the financial piece, when what year was that when you went full time in the running, and how did you prepare for that? That's a really good question. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So the official year when I actually had sponsors that were paying me any like a little bit of money was 2016 okay. and then i would say 2018 19 was when i really started to like say okay this is so what the way it started was it was like okay i can make a little bit of money here this isn't going to be able to support my family thankfully my wife karen had a steady job and she was able to to keep us rolling during those times to allow me to then build around that right because it right. was like in this sport in ultra running it's not like you know, the NFL where you've got tens of millions of people watching every single week. Sponsors are going to pay you stupid amounts of money. If you're at the top of your game, it's right. a little bit different. There's definitely a big community, but the visibility looks different. So it took me a little bit of time to navigate, to sort of build relationships and navigate mm -hmm. uh, those relationships with sponsors. And then by kind of like what I said before, the experience, I, when I started winning races and doing well at races, then sponsors see that and they say okay um we you know like that's a good it's always a good thing when our runners are doing well at races so we're going to give you these financial incentives if you can win this race you get this amount you know that this amount of money and then so it kind of okay. just built from there over the course of like running races having success and and getting to now so i would say it was kind of 2018 or 19 was when things started becoming like really financially feasible and uh and thankfully since then uh, between the running, I do some coaching as well, a little bit of race directing, all that ties into the same thing. And now I get to do what I love for my career. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, it's something that I've kind of come across the same thing. I'm getting paid for doing what I love. And now I can say it's absolutely the best feeling in the world. And I'm sure you could say the same thing when you wake up and you don't even feel like you're working. I, I love that. Yeah. And you know, I remember, you can probably attest to this too, Josh. I remember when I was younger, 
just not being as aware of all of the opportunities that exist yeah. career-wise. Yeah. It's like a lot of people have sort of like, you know, there's X, there's like right. these general things that most people do. Right, right. Right. And then you start to realize, Hey, there's a lot more out there. I can, I can find something that I love. And fi- like, if you're passionate about something, you can find a way to make money at it. And especially when it's, when you're talking about financial stuff, obviously you can find a way to make money. at it. I, Yes. But it's interesting. You, you do, you bring that up because I mean, you absolutely know what you're talking about. There's so many creative ways to make money. I think, you know, with the internet and the, the rising age of social media, I think it's enhanced pretty much any facet of, of money making possible. It's really made anything feasible. You, I mean, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Totally. And I think a lot of, a lot of that has to do with, again, you're more like, I, I, it's funny. I always tell this to my, my athletes that I coach. And this is something that I preach to myself a lot too, is that motivation is everything. And yeah. so when you're going into a race, you've absolutely got to know what your motivations are and, and what is going to be, that's going to get you to the, the finish line and have success. Yeah. And similarly, you've got to be motivated in the right ways, you know, like you've got to know what those motivations are. And if you're passionate about something, you'll find a way to make it work. If your motivations are kind of muddy or you're not sure what they are, then when things get tough, it's more likely that it's going to crumble. Yeah. And what, you know, what are some of the motivations you tell yourself in these races? Is it family related or, you know, what do those look like for you? Yeah, I, 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 ensure that every single time I go out for a race, I make sure I know what those things are ahead of time. So a lot of times it is, you know, maybe running for someone in my family. Um, you know, a a handful of years ago now it's 2016, one of my best friends growing up passed away from brain cancer. I'm sorry. It was five years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. It it, you know, it it was five years ago now, but I still, I still like use that as a big motivator. You know, it's like, Um, I miss him every day and he gives me strength and I'm going to use that and do everything I can to succeed in what I love. So, so yeah, there's a whole lot of things that that can motivate you, but you just got to know what those things are and make sure that when things get tough, you can rely on that. Cause if you don't know it ahead of time, when things get tough, you're going to say, I'm just going to quit. But if you've got those things lined up, ready to go, then it's going to give you the strength that you need to keep moving on. Yeah. I love It's so it's so inspiring to see something like that being a a motivational thing for you, even years, you know, in the future. I love that, 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 you know, you can pull on something like that when uh, the going gets tough, you know, I'm kind of curious what race or event do you think really puts you in the spotlight when you talk about 18, 19, really, you know, putting you in the spotlight, making it feasible. Is there any one event you can look back and say, this kind of put me on a different path? Yeah, you know, actually, so the thing, I guess the a turning point in my mind of where I thought to myself, like, this could become a career of mine was actually in 2015. I ran this race in the Gobi Desert in China. It's called the Gobi March. It was a 250K race <laughs> um, over five days. So it was a stage race that took place over five days. And there were competitors from like 40 different countries. And uh, I went over there with kind of like... Uh, I guess not no expectations, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to run hard and just see what I can do. And I won that race. And after that, I thought, man, if I can go and compete against this international field, I feel like, you know, this could be something that I could do. You know, yeah. I, I think people could get behind that. Sponsors could recognize that. 
And so that was like what really planted the seed. And then, you know, in 2018, actually, um, I, so there's a, a very popular race that I know you're familiar with Josh. It's the oldest hundred mile race in the world called Western States. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it starts, starts over in Olympic Valley and goes to Auburn and, and Western oh, States in 2018, I ran it. And, uh, I was just outside of the top 10 and the top 10 is kind of like this really coveted thing where if you finish in the top 10, you get an automatic entry into the next year's race. Okay. And so, um, that was kind of like a, a really, even though I just missed the goal of the top 10, I was right outside of it. Um, that was a big race for me because it was the most stacked field that I'd ever run against. So the, the best competition I'd ever run against and, uh, and I competed really well against them. And I think a lot of people thought, wow, you know, I, we knew this guy was a good runner, but maybe not as good as we thought he was. So, uh, or maybe better than we thought he was, I should say. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, that was a big one for me. And then, and then the rest of that year, I had some big wins. There was another 250 K race in Namibia called the desert ultra. Uh, I won that and I set the course record there. So that was a, a big year for me. And then, uh, kind of rolled into 2019 and, and kept going from there. How do you prepare for something like this? As far as physically, you know, is it, do you run something like when we're talking about a hundred miler, do you run a hundred miler a couple of weeks before? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I like to sort of simulate the big races with other races. So some people like to go out and do really long training runs. I'll do usually the most I'll ever do on a training run is around 50 K okay. low 30 miles. Yep. Um, but then I like to run other races. So if I'm going to run a hundred miler, I definitely want to run at least a 50 mile race, usually six weeks to two months out from okay. the hundred the miler. Um, and so I use those as, to me, it's, it's more motivating to be in a race setting than to be out on your own, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so I like to, to use that to, to get in the training. And then, I mean, honestly though, when, when you get up into those ranges, as far as training's concerned, there's sort of diminishing returns. So okay. you've got to, when you run 50 miles, you've got then X amount of recovery and it, and it could take longer to bounce back from that. Whereas if you do 20 or 30 milers, I know it sounds crazy, but 20 or 30 mile runs, you can recover from pretty quickly. Okay. And so when you're training, after you get up into those higher numbers, you got to be careful with that and sort of like make sure the timing is right so that you're fully recovered going into the big thing. So, so yeah, for me, it's, it's getting a lot of time on feet, getting in a race setting to sort of prepare for the bigger one. Right. And then, uh, just, you know, like I said, putting yourself in, in tougher conditions and dealing with what you think you might deal with on race day. What does the recovery look like in those big races where we're talking 100, 150 miles? How long does that take? <laughs> the, so it's interesting. I've over time, my recovery has gotten better all the time. And so I can I can go out and run a 100 mile race and feel pretty good like yeah. a couple days later, like wow. think to myself. I could maybe go for like a small jog today. You know, I, yeah. I'm not going to like push it hard in, in any way, but um, so there's like this superficial feeling of recovery that, that if you're fit and if you've been through it before um, happens pretty quickly. Okay. But I, I think ultimately the, the like underlying recovery, the deep fatigue, I think it takes for a hundred mile race, probably three plus months to fully recover from. Really? It takes that long. Yeah, just like what basically like what I've realized is if I go and run a hundred mile race, I can feel good a couple of days later. Yeah. But if I want to go out and then really push it hard in another race, 
I need at least a few months because by the time I get to that next race, I can run it, but I can't really push it as hard as I would like to. So there's this, there's, there's two, two facets of the recovery. There's the like immediate recovery and then the like, you know, the underlying and for me, the underlying can take a few months for sure to, to feel like I'm really ready to like get after it again. Is that how most, you know, ultra athletes are? Is that pretty common, you know, to, you know, kind of space them out that long? Yeah, I think, especially with the elites, um, there, there's definitely, you know, there's some incredible people. Like there's, there's this guy, um, his name is Ed, and he has the record for most 100 plus mile races. Some of them are over 100 miles. He's run, it's like 209 now. Um, and, uh, and he, he gets, it's, it's like, he, like, I think last or not last year, cause the pandemic, maybe one of the last couple of years, he did one like every single week, a hundred mile or every week. And, oh. uh, and, and they were races, like actual races, not just on his own. So, yeah. um, so you can do that, but at a certain point you're just completing it, you know? Um, and I think at the, at the higher, more elite level athletes realize they can't run every single race. So they kind of pick. I would say like two to three real big races in a given year right. and then just really focus on those. And it's usually like kind of a, a spring, summer, fall sort of setup okay. is, is usually how it works for most. And when, when we're talking about all these events that you've done, all these ultra events, what, what is probably the hardest one that you learn the most from? You know, is there any one that stands yeah. out in your mind? Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to go back to that, that Gobi March race in 2015. Really? I think, yeah. So the, the thing that I learned the most there was I actually, uh, that was, what was really cool about that race was, um, four deserts is the company that puts on that race. Right. Um, and they, they do a bunch of international races every year. They do like four or five every year. So they've had, since they started, they've, I don't know, there's been over 50 races that they put on. Okay. And that was the only event in their history where the podium one, two, and three finishers were all American, which was pretty sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I was proud to be a part of that. But the two guys that finished behind me, um, Ralph and Kyle are their names. They're good friends of mine. They we were battling, and so it's a stage race. So you you run five stages. So every day is a new race. Okay. So it's like you race, you might win the first day, but then the next day you got to come back and battle again. So um, it was really tough because we were going back and forth the whole time and the thing that, that really stuck with me was on the, the last day, which was the longest day, it was like a 50 mile run. We were, it got super hot. It was way well over a hundred degrees. We were out in the middle of the desert. And I remember those guys pushed ahead of me and it was really close. Like it, the, the overall time we were really close. So, so every step they were pushing ahead of me was potentially pushing me out of the, right. you know, the top spots. And I just remember, I told myself, I was like, you know what, you have this plan you've got to run your race and execute it the way that you intended. And so I can't, I can't run with them right now because this is what's working for me. And, uh, so I just like, I listened to, to the plan that I had set forward and, uh, and then they went ahead, but then I started to feel better later and I ended up catching one of them. And then I almost caught the other one, but it was still enough for me to keep me in the overall lead. And so gotcha. it was it was a good lesson in not letting someone else dictate what you're doing and trust your gut and kind of run your own race. Okay. And so that's something that I that I always because I'm such a competitive person, I see people around me, and if someone if someone runs ahead of me, I want to you know I want to run with them. And sometimes I will, but sometimes I'll say, you know what, my plan says I need to do this, and hopefully I catch them later. You know. 
Yeah, I like that because, you know, a lot of people in this world, there's so much going on that you can find in the internet, which is a good and a bad thing. But a lot of people try and compare themselves too much to other people instead of, like you said, racing their own race. So I really love that part. Like, yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this from an investing standpoint, Josh, but a big thing that I've learned throughout my my running, my racing career too, is trusting your gut. Yeah. It's It's like, if you, if you have a plan during a race or if you're, you know, uh, for, for me, I, on those races that I didn't finish both of them before, like it weeks leading into the race, I told, I was like, I know I shouldn't run this race. I know I shouldn't run this race. And then I ran it and then I didn't finish. And so, <laughs> you know, it was like, if I had trusted my gut, maybe it, maybe that would have played out differently. But then again, maybe I wouldn't have learned the lesson that I learned too. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where I think you got to trust your instincts and just, you know, run your own race. Yeah, absolutely. I got to ask, what is the longest you've ran for, you know, one period of time, just continual running? Is it the Tahoe Rim Trail? Is that the longest? It is. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explain yeah. that one. I know what it is, but my yeah. listeners know. <laughs> yeah, so so the longest go, because uh, I did in 2016, I ran across the U.S. Yes. So that was that was 2,500 miles, but I was like... <laughs> I wasn't sleeping a lot, but every single night I'd come in and I'd sleep and then I'd get up the next day and I'd go. So that took 60 days. How many so miles that, a day was that? Uh, I was averaging like 45 miles a day. <laughs> yeah. And that was, I was trying to break the record too. So 45 miles was actually way short of what I was hoping for, but still, still not too, not too shabby in the end. But, no. uh, but as far as consecutive running, yeah, 2020, uh, I ran the, the Tahoe Rim Trail. I set what's called an FKT, the fastest known time ever and and what was really cool for me is that in the world of ultra running there's this spanish guy his name's killian journey and he's kind of like the uh i'm a chicago guy so whenever i talk about the greatest i always bring up michael jordan so right. he's kind of like the michael jordan of of ultra running and he held the record that he set in 2009 for the tahoe rim trail fastest known time and it stood until stood for 11 years stood until 2020 Whoa. And uh, so I broke it and I took an hour and 20 minutes off of his time. So 171 miles and my total time was 37 hours and 12 minutes. Whoa. How do you prepare for something like that? Because that is not a road. That's not road running. That is some, yeah. of, the, that's some of the gnarliest trail running that, I mean, how do you do something like that? Yeah, the, the honestly, the hardest thing to prepare for was the, the sleep deprivation side of it because... A lot of these races that I run, they're either multi-stages or like a hundred miler, for example, typically takes me in the range of maybe 17 to 19 hours for most of the races that I run. Okay. So it's like all day, but then you go to bed at the end, you know? Right. Um, so to go 37 hours, that's basically double what I would do at most of the races that I run. So wow. it was, uh, it was really tough dealing. Like there's no way to simulate that. You can, you can like try to deprive yourself of sleep, but it's just not, it's not the same. So for me, it was just a matter of having my team around me and and having people try to motivate me when I was not feeling it. And and of course, my lowest points during that 37 hours was uh, going through the night. I was going over uh, Freel Pass in South Lake. Yeah. And uh, coming up and over that, I was about 80, 80 something miles in, 87 maybe. Yeah. And I just remember I was, it's a tough climb. And I remember I was dragging really, really badly and. Thankfully, I had my friend Mike with me, and he was he was keeping me motivated. He's like, "Dude, you're doing good. Just let's just keep moving," you know. And uh, and then the, the the crazy thing about that is that as soon as the sun came back up, 
I felt, I felt like a totally different person. It was crazy. Like I was dragging an energy, not feeling good. Then the sun came back up. My crew was there. I got some food and water and, and then everything turned around and I ran really strong for the last, the last like 50, 60 miles of the trail. So, um, it's, it's hard. You can, you can prepare for it the same way you would for like a hundred mile race. The hardest thing that you can't really account for though, is the, the sleep side of it. Did you sleep at all or no? I tried to, uh, I laid down for like 15, 20 minutes in big meadow, which is the, so I started in Tahoe city and big meadows, the hundred mile mark. So I got to hundred miles. It was still middle of the morning. So it was dark. And, uh, I said, let's, let's try to squeeze in a nap right now. I'm feeling tired. But the, the funny thing was I was so tired when I was running, yeah. but then when I went to go shut the brain off, I couldn't. And so I laid down and I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling this like incredible fatigue, but at the same time, I just couldn't get to sleep because I, I, I think I knew I was close at that point. I was behind the record, but I was still close. Right. And so it's, it's hard to like, to say, okay, let's, let's get some sleep. I just couldn't, I couldn't turn my brain off. And I was like, I got to get back out there and try to catch this guy. So what, what do you use music when you're running is, you know, do you have a playlist, a go-to playlist? I, I actually, I sometimes will use music, not very often though. Um, and on, on the Tahoe Rim Trail, I didn't use any, um, part. Oh, I shouldn't say No, actually I, I say incorrect. In the very beginning, I yeah. had my headphones for the first 20 miles, but then I had a pacer with me the rest of the time. Yeah. So, uh, I had someone with me and we would, we would talk. Sometimes we wouldn't talk. <laughs> right. And, uh, and they, it's like the nice thing about having someone with you is that they can sort of feel out what you're going through and say, okay, it seems like he wants to talk. Let's, let's just chat about whatever, or he's not in a good spot. Let's just keep him moving. And I won't really say anything, you know, like they can kind of feed off of your energy. Right. And, uh, so yeah, sometimes I'll use music, but in this case, uh, didn't really use much. And I sort of more relied on the people around me to, to keep me going and keep me feeling strong. What was the, I'll do the math here, but do you know, like, like average mile pace on that Tahoe rim trail? Was it like a eight or nine minute mile? So the average pace overall, and that's including breaks was 13 minutes 13 per mile. Minutes, okay. Um, but my actual average moving time was more like 10 minutes per mile. So the, the 13 is like you, right. the clock just doesn't stop. Right. So if I get into an aid station, I sit down for 20 minutes that counts as right. as the overall pacing. So, so yeah, it was it was like ten minute moving pace, thirteen minutes overall. That's pretty quick, though, given that trail. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, pretty, and that's oh my God. that's with uh, the the TRT has like twenty eight thousand feet of elevation gain, so about Mount Everest in in gain, which is <laughs> another factor. That was the, that was the next question I was going to ask. Wow. What now when you're running these races, I gotta like, do you hallucinate at all on these? Have you ever had, I gotta ask, is that something you've, you've yeah. dealt with? That's a great question. So I, it's funny. I used to, it wasn't that I didn't believe people that said they hallucinated. It was just that I, I thought to myself, I wonder if they're just embellishing a little bit, you know, right. cause you'd, you'd hear these like ridiculous stories. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, I thought that's, that's pretty goofy. And right. then. I, on the TRT, I experienced it for myself. Okay. I was, when I, yeah, when I was out there, I was seeing, I thought I was seeing people all over the, like at night I, yeah. I was, I, we'd be like running and I'd be with my pacer and, and I'd be like, I can see someone, uh, standing next to that tree. And they're like, Adam, there's nobody at the tree. <laughs> and so I, you know, I would see, I didn't see anything like super weird, but I, I kept thinking I was seeing people, sometimes animals. And then, uh, uh, there was, I, it was funny I, when I finished the run, um, I, 
I took a shower after, you know, like almost two days of running. And when I was showering, I like there, this is so, this is so crazy, but there were these little like cartoon characters on the wall of the shower that were like dancing back and forth and do it. It was like, I was watching a cartoon on the wall. Really? So, uh, yeah. And, and I was, I was acutely aware of the fact that that wasn't actually happening, but I was still seeing what I was seeing. It was like, my brain was like, you know, this isn't real, but my eyes were seeing it. So it was very strange. <laughs> that, I mean, the, the, the feats you've done, I gotta, I, I gotta wonder. So do you think you were born with this, uh, like insane amount of mental strength or do you think it's something that people can actually learn over time or is it something I definitely, you've developed i'm just curious yeah yeah i you know i like to use this analogy i forget if we've talked about this before or not josh but i use the analogy of of a water well and i like to tell people that every time you go through something tough you dig your well deeper yeah and and then the next time you go to do something you've got even more experience and more stuff to draw from so there, there's no doubt in my mind that you, that it's something that you can build up. Um, that said, I think certain people are wired in a way that naturally lends itself to having success with that. And I think I'm one of those people. I honestly, I think so when, you know, um, we haven't, we haven't talked about this, but the, when I was on the discovery channel show, the wheel, yes, I, I, uh, I told them when I was in casting, they, they said, why do you think so I had actually just run across the U.S. months earlier. So I think they were intrigued. They're like, okay, this guy just ran across the U.S. That's kind of crazy. Maybe he could be a good contestant. And so you they look were like, like Forrest Gump, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You look wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thanks, bro. And and so they were like, you know, Adam, why do you think you can survive on this show? And I was like, you know, I don't have the survival skills. I don't – like, as far as that stuff is concerned, I don't think I have an advantage over somebody. But we're <laughs> – where I like my number one asset without question is that I'm going to problem solve and not give up easy. Like if I, if I have to tap out of this and give up on the show, I'm going to take myself to the brink before that happens, you know? And I think, honestly, I think that was what sold me to them. And the reason why they cast me is that they knew that I was going to like give everything that I had um, to, you know, before I pulled the plug and, and, and gave up if that was the case. And thankfully I didn't have to, but, um, but I, you know, I think, so I, I definitely think like, that's a big asset of mine that said, it's certainly something that you can get better at and grow over time. And, and I think, um, you know, again, Goggins is a great example of that. It's like, if you, if you continually put yourself in challenging situations, you almost have no choice, but to be mentally stronger, you know? Right. And, uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a cool it's a cool thing when you when you start to like realize what you're capable of because I think a lot of people and I know with your military background of course you know this too Josh but I think a, like there's a lot of people in this world that don't have any idea what they're capable of yeah. and uh, it's kind of like in a way it kind of makes me sad because it's like mm. this for a lot of people it's like unbelievably um, like just unbelievable unrealized potential and uh, and I think. I've been fortunate that, you know, uh, I've put myself in some of these situations. Other people have put me in the situation sometimes, but these things have really shown me what I'm capable of and, and like the things that I can overcome, which, you know, in the past I would have thought no chance, you know, but sometimes you, you just like, you get thrown into something and you got to figure it out. Is there anything now that you have your eyes set on that is like this next holy grail of accolades you're trying to get after 
That's a, that's a really good question. I, I'm always looking for a new, a new challenge and a new yeah. opportunity. A lot of it's, a lot of it's aligned with running. Like I love, I love running across places. I've actually like, um, prior to the pandemic, I was going to try to, and I still am going to, it's just a matter of when I can get over there, but I was going to try to set the record for running across New Zealand. Uh, and <laughs> how many like, miles is that? That's uh, it's like 1800 miles. So it's less than the U S but it's still up there. Oh, <laughs> um, my God. so, so yeah, I have my eyes on that, but then I don't know on it. Like, and I can't like plan for these sort of things, but that my experience on the wheel that made me hungrier for, you know, stuff like that, just <laughs> things where I can, where someone can put me into a situation and, and I can just, you know, see what I can do. And so I, I'm always intrigued by, by those sort of things. And I, I just kind of um, keep pursuing my passions and see what opportunities come up. Am I going to see you on TV? Hopefully sometime soon <laughs> again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see, man. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always, I've got some, you know, some connections now in the TV Good. world. So um, nothing immediate, but, uh, but yeah, I've got some, I've got some hopes for some stuff for sure. You know, as we wrap this up, I just want to kind of talk a little bit about your your motivational speaking. Do you do you do a lot of that right now, or is it mainly running? Kind of curious how much time you spend doing that. Yeah, yeah. The motivational speaking has been an awesome gig for me. I actually I started doing that after I ran across the U.S. because yeah. I came back. I was living in Illinois at the time, and I came back, and some of the schools that I grew up going to reached out to me and they said, "Hey, would you want to come and share your story with the kids? We'd love for you to to do that." Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, sure." So I started doing that. And then it's funny how sometimes things just sort of can fall into your lap. But right. after the first couple of those, which I did for free, then somebody reached out and they're like, hey, we'd love to have you come talk. And then they said, what's your speaking fee? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I said, uh, what's that? I thought to myself, I don't have one. But uh, but then I was like, you know what, can I actually do this? And so then um, so then, yeah, that that kicked off an opportunity to, to start speaking to schools and businesses and, and, uh, running clubs and all kinds of stuff. And, and it's been great. I, uh, I had this year, I've had a few of them. I, a couple, actually, I guess it's been a month ago now. Um, I spoke to a group over at North star. There's a, a community within North star and I spoke to a group there. It was awesome. Um, and yeah, I just, I kind of like what, I, what we said earlier, Josh, the, the thing that's really cool is that so much of the stuff that I've been through ha like applies to all facets of life. So I always, I always go to the group that I'm talking to. It can be a group of kindergartners or it can be a group, uh, of, uh, you know, people at an elderly community. It doesn't matter what age they are. I think everybody's got something that they, they can learn and, and apply to their lives. And so I take those, those lessons and those themes that were present throughout the stuff I've been through and, and apply it to, to anybody, no matter where they are or where they live and what's going on in their life. Yeah. I love that. I mean, Adam, your, your story is, I mean, remarkable. You're one of the hardest, toughest guys I know. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, is there anything else you kind of want to wrap up with to let my audience know, to, you know, any last piece of advice, you know? And, and honestly, what I would say is to that, this last year has been tremendously tough for tons of people, every walk of life. You know, what kind of inspiration would you give to somebody who's really struggling in this last year, year and a half? you know, due to the COVID pandemic, what, you know, what do you have for that? Yeah, honestly, the, the things that have changed my life were realizing that if you can, and, and sometimes the, it takes steps to get there, it doesn't just happen overnight, but if you can do, do whatever you can to figure out how you can turn your passions into your career. Mm. 
So take the things that you love and say, okay, what do you like? What do I love spending my time on? Okay. Now, is there a career related to that? An obvious one, maybe if not, okay, what's something that could tie into that, that maybe I could get into and then start the process of, of looking to that again, like you might have to, to financially stay in whatever position you're in currently to kind of float you until you get there. Like I said, for me, it was having the the backing of my wife to allow me yeah. to to build around that, right? So it's it's follow those passions, and then the other thing is, I I say this about everything. Some sometimes people, uh, I mean, most of my friends love it, but sometimes the optimism can get to them because I'm a very optimistic person. Yes, but, you are. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, take take your situation and and if it's not good, reframe it. Look at the positives mm-hmm. because. No matter what is going on in your life, all everybody had a challenging last year. Some people a lot more than others. Sure. Admittedly, I, for as much of a bummer as a lot of the things were last year, like yeah. I didn't have anyone super close to me pass away. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to continue doing my job. I actually like from a coaching standpoint, I got more clients during the pandemic, yeah. which made no sense to me, but. So I, I recognize that I'm, I was incredibly blessed when a lot of people lost sure. their jobs, had, were in like really tough positions. But that said, no matter what the situation is, there's something that you can build off of, something, yeah. some positive to take. And so rather than looking at all the things that have shifted or that are going poorly, take the things that are that are going well and build off of those. And so if you, I think, if they can sort of reframe the negatives and, and look at what is going well, there's always something going well, even if it's one thing. And if you can take yep. that and build off of that, then uh, good things are going to happen. And for me, the so many of the best things that have happened in my life have been a domino effect that yeah. started from pursuing other things. And so I think if you put yourself out there, um, mm. you know, I, I like to believe that like the world and the universe, whatever, how, whatever you want to call it, is going to respond positively. And so, so pursue those things, see the positives, and good things are going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, what you just said is kind of what I've experienced this year, and I mean, what you're saying is 100% true. I mean, it it's kind of that domino effect, which you have to put yourself out there. And I think yeah. that's the yeah. thing that most people just don't do. They don't take that step in willing to face failure. Um, yeah, that was right. tremendously put. You know, I actually that that brings up one other point I want to bring up. Yes. When I ran across when I ran across the U.S., I was I mentioned I was trying to set the the world record at the time, and I fell way short of that. Yeah. And I was I was t- having a conversation with some friends recently, and we it was funny. We were talking about the fact that like at the time that that happened, I, I was really disappointed that I didn't break the record. I was stoked to to finish it and to run across the U.S., yep. but I, I wish I'd broken the record then. The interesting thing was years later now, if anyone knows about that or if they bring it up, not a single person ever says anything about the record. They're like, dude, you ran across the U.S. That was amazing. Yep. (laughs) So by putting myself out there, I fell short of a goal and people don't even remember that. They're focused on the fact that, you know, like you completed this thing. That was incredible. And I, so I, to me, like a big takeaway from that is put yourself out there because even if things don't go the way you're hoping they're going to go chances are it's going to open up another door and send you down this, this awesome road. And, and if you don't do it, you don't know, like there's nothing to gain, but if you put yourself out there, there's everything to gain. So that's a good way uh, you frame that. You you frame that really well, because I know you for (laughs) that feat, but I didn't even think about it that way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Adam, I, I really appreciate you coming on my my guests are going to love it. You're a 
you're just a, <laughs> I, I can't even, I don't even have the words to describe the kind of person you are. And you've had a tremendous impact and kind of positive impact on my life, Adam. And I really appreciate you again coming on. Thanks so much, Josh. I had a blast, dude. I knew this was going to be a, a really fun uh, time and I appreciate you branching out and, and mixing, mixing it up with, uh, Absolutely. someone like i said a little bit outside of the norm of, of who you'd interview but yeah it's been a blast man thanks for having me on the show thanks adam you have a good one bye hey you too brother see you as always my filthy animals thanks for tuning in stay hungry keep grinding and i'll catch you on the next one peace